Hey guys, Jace here. Real quick before we get to the episode, I wanted to come on and talk about a cause that I just became aware of that I feel is very important. It has to do with the banning of books and censorship. There is a school board in York, Pennsylvania that's banned over 200 books saying that they're divisive, they're political. Uh, a lot of these are kids' books, they're children's books, they're about persons of color, they're written by persons of color. You look at the 200 books that are banned on that list, and it's it's so clear that this is sort of a, a whitewashing, right? Like they're trying to, to silence voices. Uh, and it's, these days, everything's all about inclusiveness. It's about teaching our children from a very young age about the, the, the truth of the world and the fact that everybody that you encounter in your life doesn't look like you and doesn't have the same beliefs as you. And I'm, I'm so against censorship, and especially when it's so blatant like this, where uh, all of a sudden this diversity education committee says that no we're not gonna have these 200 anti-racism books that are on this list it, it's wrong and what's really great is uh, although this happened uh, last week and some of the books being written by uh, author brad Meltzer, who some of you may recognize the name as the author of identity crisis he writes as i said children's books but also a lot of novels he he brought this to my attention and uh, there's a couple of women out there in the area that are basically saying, go on to Amazon or uh, this other uh, book site, I think it's called bookshop.org, and you can buy the books and they will be shipped out to these, uh, to these women, Hannah Shipley and JJ uh, Schaefer. And they are distributing these books out there to little community libraries, you know, uh, on the street corner by a tree, what, what have you, you go and you grab the books, take a book, leave a book, what have you, because it's really important to get these stories out there, to get kids reading, to get them learning about history and inclusivity and diversity. Uh, well, since this campaign started last week, Hannah has received hundreds of books, hundreds of boxes from Amazon have come in. So that's absolutely fantastic. And the other thing that I just found out before I was getting ready to record this promo is the school board actually reversed their ban. So that's fantastic news, but it's not enough. They're trying to save their own butts. So uh, it's also important that these school board members be removed. There's an election coming up soon. Let's get school board members on this board that have the best interest of the kids at heart that celebrate diversity and inclusiveness. So there's a ton of links in the show notes if you want to get involved. Obviously, there's a link to Amazon where you can go and purchase the book and have them shipped to Hannah where she can distribute them. There's also a link if you don't like to use Amazon to the other website, which I think is uh, bookstore.org or, or something like that. The link is there in the show notes. There's also a link to an article from the Miami Herald that talks in more detail about the decision that was made and why these books were banned and how Brad Meltzler has gotten involved. And it talks about Hannah uh, and JJ as well. Uh, and then finally, the last two links are links to the, uh, the people that I mentioned that are running for the school board. Six individuals that are very diverse, that are all about inclusivity, uh, because it's not enough that these books have been unbanned. It's not enough that the school board's been making excuses saying the books were never really banned. They just weren't allowed in the classroom, but they were available in the library. No. You're just making excuses. You got caught. Uh, this is inexcusable. These aren't the kind of people that I want making decisions about education, things that affect our children, that affect the future of this country. So again, all those links are in the show notes. It's a very worthy cause. Go and donate some of the books. Go and spread awareness. Uh, it's important that these people don't get away with this sort of behavior. It, it, it matters. So it's a worthy cause. 
And uh, again, thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoy the the DC Spotlight. As always, we go in-depth with all the DC books this week. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for September 22nd, 2021. A lot of of books this week. Uh, Didn't have to split up the Marvel separately. uh, And I didn't hear from anybody that preferred it one way or the other. So we're just going to lump Marvel in uh, with all the independent stuff like we normally do. But what that means is there's 14 books for us to talk about this week so uh, we're going to get to it in just a second but uh, everybody heard the uh, the promo to start about the school board in pennsylvania that had been banning books books that uh, to down to the very last one all 200 books on the list are about persons of color um, uh, lgbtq uh, autism things like that like marginalized voices and it's not okay that these voices are being silenced and it's great that the School board, you know, kind of gave into the pressure uh, from students and parents and um, social media and, and other voices that were telling them, hey, you guys are doing the wrong thing, but it's not enough. Uh, you know, they are only giving in now because they got caught, basically. I mean, they, they banned these books back in November of 2020, and it's only now that it's coming to light. So if, if they knew they made the wrong decision and they wanted to reverse it, they had months and months to do it, almost a year. And now a year later, when they're getting called on it, that's finally when they change their mind. So it doesn't have anything to do with them realizing they made a mistake. It has to do with them being called out and looking bad and then wanting to save their own butts and with election coming up November 2nd, wanting to retain their seats. So important to support those people that are running for school board that are going to replace these people. Um, the, the candidates that are running for the seats are much more diverse. They preach exclusivity or inclusivity rather, and, um, and diversity and, and it's important. So anyway, go check it out. All the links are in the show notes. Uh, it's a definitely a very uh, worthy cause. So with that being said, let's dive into the books for this week. We've got a new arc starting in alien. Uh, it even says on right there on the cover, new arc starts here. It's issue number seven. Still being written by Philip Kennedy Johnson. We have Salvador LaRocca on art. Guru EFX does the colors. Clayton Cowell on letters. And it's it's interesting because it's almost about something we've, at least I, don't think I've ever heard about in the Alien universe. I mean, other than, I guess, Alien 3 had a little bit to do with religion. There were like monks or whatever when she was on the prison planet. But everybody likes to forget that one and block it out because it was such a terrible movie. Uh, but this has to do with some colonists that went off to colonize their own moon because they basically were sort of escaping religious persecution in a way. And they wanted to um, have some freedom. So they agreed to go out and colonize this planet and risk their lives. And they, they signed this contract to have to do this for, you know, a certain number of decades. And then the trade-off is eventually they'll uh, be gifted control of that moon. That moon will become theirs uh, and then anybody else from their religion that wants to make the pilgrimage there can can do so. So that's kind of the 
the state of of things as it were as it starts off but it quickly goes sideways from there but uh definitely has that alien feel uh, philip kenny johnson clearly a fan of alien and is doing a good job of uh, telling some great stories in that universe what did you think jay i enjoyed it uh i like about it because they, they tell you like at the beginning of the story what's going on with uh, the timeline so it's two years after the uh, epson incident so it's 2002 and yeah it's uh, i think they're called spinners i guess the religion group they're called spinners but I guess the two key characters, I guess, is Jane, because she's the leader, I guess, of this religious group. And uh, Ambrose is like her right-hand man, I guess. But yeah, it, it leads pretty good because they start off with, you know, the, the ship and, you know, bad things going on. Then you find out about the uh, the planet. Then the ending, you're like, okay, so now we're going to ready for the, you know, the the bloodbath to begin. <laughs> yeah. Um, and these, these aren't soldiers or, you know, people that are used to, to fighting this sort of thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're survivors because it, it takes a lot of grit to colonize terraforma a moon. So, uh, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of badasses among these colonists, but you know, it's one thing to sort of exert physicality to terraform. And, you know, it's, it's maybe physically taxing. It's another thing to fight, giant xenomorphs so like you <laughs> well, said, yeah like you said i you know next issue the bloodbath is probably going to begin so i'm looking forward to it because like, the thing is in the book too they tell you there's two groups they got out uh was it the alpha and the beta group so they never met each other for all this whole time because they were terraforming so now that they they're going to meet so so we don't know how the other group is they might be they might have weapons we don't know yet so that's yeah. like the big key yeah that's a good point i didn't even think about that but you're right all right, well, on to the first book I'm going to talk about. Uh, it is X-Men, The Onslaught Revelation number one. So obviously, if you're an X-Men fan, you know the name Onslaught. It's kind of this evil, psychic entity, basically, like kind of the worst of Xavier and the worst of Magneto, all rolled up into one and became kind of sentient on its own. And in the Way of X miniseries by Cy Spurrier, we saw that that Onslaught was back. Well, in this issue, that's also written by Cy Spurrier and with art from Way of X artist uh, Bob Quinn, we get kind of the end of that story, which it did sort of feel like Way of X 5. It ended on a little bit of a cliffhanger and it felt like there should be more. Well, this finishes up the story. So the colors are by Java Tartagala. Clayton Cowell handles letters and like all the X-Men books, Tom Muller does the design. So we find out how Onslaught got onto Krakoa. We find out what happened with the plan that Nightcrawler had. He, he got that idea, that spark in issue five of Way of X, but then he was killed. And it was in between that time where he his memories and consciousness hadn't been backed up. So he lost that knowledge of the idea that finally sparked in his, his mind. So you wondered, hey, how could it how could it all work out? Would, would he be able to f- fulfill whatever idea it was that he had? How could they defeat Onslaught? And ultimately, what all of this leads to is a way for Nightcrawler to sort of fix the sort of spiritual malaise that has sort of taken over Krakoa, right? Like his whole concern was the fact that because... 
mutants can't die, death stops having meaning, and at some point, life becomes meaningless. Like, if there's no consequences, you know, why should you do anything? It, it just becomes this huge, long, monotonous existence that stretches into, you know, eternity. Like, what's the, what's the point of doing anything? Um, you're not going to have an impact. How, how can anybody have an impact if everybody lives forever? You can only have an impact, you know, on a very small, limited scale. But when you think about, you know, life lasting that long, it, it things can lose their meaning. And it was leading to some depravity and, and people like, you know, the taking risks that they shouldn't. And, you know, just what difference does it make? You can kill somebody. It doesn't matter. You know, what kind of evil that can lead to. And like I said, spiritual malaise. So that's what Nightcrawler's sort of charged himself with with fixing and that's what he had the idea to fix it in, in uh, way of x and so we find out what that idea is we find out if he's able to implement it we find out as i said how onslaught got onto krakoa how he infiltrated mutant culture and if they're able to defeat him or not and what i like about this it brings onslaught back and it makes him feel like a big bad and it makes him feel like a threat but it doesn't overtly put him out there in a way where oh, well, we know he gets away. It's just a matter of time until he comes back. It's a good, solid, contained story. And I'm really glad we got this because, again, it felt like Way of X was so incomplete. And this really puts a period on the end of that series. And we don't really need any more than this. It leaves the door open for more, certainly. But we don't necessarily need more. Um, but it does appear that this is going to lead into another series that doesn't necessarily have the same sort of tone or objective of way of X. Um, but it looks like nightcrawler is going to be putting together a team. And I don't want to say, I'm just going to call it a team. I'm not going to call it like what it actually is or, or talk about what their um, sort of their mandate or, or their mission is going to be because I don't want to give anything away. I'm just going to say it's a team, and it looks like Nightcrawler's on the team, Pixie's on the team, Juggernaut is on the team, and I think Black Tom Cassidy, and then there's a couple other people I don't recognize. Um, but what's most interesting is the fact that Juggernaut's on the team, because Juggernaut's not a mutant, and previously wasn't even allowed to go to Krakoa. So I just find that really, really interesting. So I'm sure some of these ideas will continue to be explored in whatever that x-men series is that's coming up starring nightcrawler and i wonder if Cy Spurrier is going to write it or not but either way I, I really enjoyed this it was great to see onslaught back and feel him as a threat he what's interesting though is he's sort of this abstract threat he doesn't necessarily have a big huge like starring role or something in in the series um or, or in the issue i should say but yeah overall i thought it was really solid i, I really enjoyed it so um all right up next, uh, the end of a series, uh, but we already know we're going to get a volume two, and this has been one of Jay's favorite titles for the last few months. It's from Aftershock. It's called Bunny Mask. Uh, as I said, issue four is their sickness. It's written by Paul Tobin, Andrew Moody on art and colors, Taylor Esposito on letters. And all I'm going to say about it is it has continued to be weird and strange throughout, and I think that's the whole point. So... Uh, what did you think, Jay? I like it. It uh, 
it starts off with uh, with Bunny Mask and the key guy, uh, Tyler. And I, hey, I guess they got to share a moment. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Sheriff Tate uh, still has a lot of questions he wants to answer because, you know, from the last issue, he can still hear um, the whispers, you know, that, that the, the snitch is talking to him, telling him about everybody's secrets. And same with Tyler. So they decide, you know, they're going to go back to the, the cave and sort of uh, figure things out. It doesn't go as planned. Um, I guess at the very end, we got like another little moment between actually a bunny mask and Taylor. I, there's uh, they make a, I guess they make a pack, I guess you can say, because his, uh, she protects his secret. So they can't ever see what he, you know, what his secrets are, which is kind of interesting. So I'm, I'm assuming that the, both the snitch and the bunny mask aren't, I thought they were like together for a while, but they're two separate entities altogether. It, it ends with no answers for anything pretty much, but it lets us know in uh, next year there'll be a second volume to the story. And I enjoyed it. It's been uh, it's been a fun, crazy ride, like you said, and, but I like that. It. It's just Buddy Mass world. I like it. Yeah, I was – until this issue, I was thinking the same thing you were, that snitching – like it was the Bunny Mask doing the snitching. I didn't realize they were two different entities. And yeah, so is is Bunny Mask – like is the snitch her enemy why is she protecting Tyler's secrets? Uh, yeah, there's a, so many unanswered questions. And then, how, like, I always assumed that B had something to do with, but like, was she Bunny Mask? And then, you know, supposedly she died, but then she's still alive. But then she died. Like, how is she still alive? Like, yeah, so many questions. It's, it's, it's almost like uh, trying to watch an episode of Lost. So many. Yeah, yeah, it just leaves more questions. And like yeah. the best part was the ending where you know B keeps calling him, and the sheriff's like, "Are you gonna call her back?" He's like, "Do I look that dumb?" And he says, "Yeah, yeah, son, yeah. you do." <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Real curious for that to return for sure. Uh, all right, next book I'm gonna talk about. Uh, big, big book, and a lot of people been anticipating this one. Big event over in Marvel: The Death of Doctor Strange from writer Jed McKay. Lee Garbett is the artist. Antonio Fabella handles the colors. We have Corey Petit on letters. Uh, first of all, I'll talk about the art. Lee Garbett, I mean, it turned to the first page, maybe second page, and it's so recognizable as Lee's art. and just brings a smile to my face. Uh, he's such a fantastic storyteller. And there's a, there's a little bit of a, a softness to his art, like an emotionality where you feel very connected to the to the characters like even though this is dr strange you know the sorcerer supreme most powerful magic wielder on earth through art through the way that he he renders dr strange the way that he illustrates them the body language he uses it makes strange feel more relatable more friendly uh and so i love that and the fact that antonio fabella is his color artist you know that uh that's part of the art team from from Skyward and Shadow uh, or Shadecraft, rather. So these guys are very uh, used to working with each other, and uh, and it's fantastic to see their artwork here. As far as the story itself goes, I've never been that invested in Doctor Strange. I haven't read a whole lot of Doctor Strange over the years, um, but Jed McKay does a good job of again making him relatable for anybody who's not a big Doctor Strange person or, or doesn't know a lot about Doctor Strange. Everything is there to kind of explain who he is, what his role is, how powerful he is. And you you're connected enough to him that, you know, when whatever's going to happen to him happens, you feel that you feel the emotional weight of it. So I, I can't really say much more than that. Um, 
because I, I don't want to give anything away. But what I will say is when the big climax happens, it is impactful. And then there's um, a fantastic little twist at the end on the last page that uh, it is a, it's a great, it's a great cliffhanger. So there's also a checklist in the back of the book. Um, so the, the death of Dr. Strange is actually a five issue mini, but then we've got, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. There's six one shots um, like death of Dr. Strange Avengers, Strange Academy presents death of Dr. Strange Death of Doctor Strange Spider-Man, Death of Doctor Strange White Fox, Death of Doctor Strange Blade, and Death of Doctor Strange X-Men slash Black Knight. So it's going to end up being uh, about 11 issues, I think. Let's see, one, two, three, four. Yeah, 11 issues uh, altogether if you pick up um, you know, every uh, one shot and, uh, and the main series. So if you're a Doctor Strange person, probably definitely want to check this out if you're not a doctor strange person based on the strength of the first issue i would say give it a try you know you'll know i think after reading this first issue whether you want to follow along with this uh this story or not but uh, i'm definitely in you know fantastically garbage art cool interesting story and like i said that that plot twist right at the end uh was was pretty fun so uh all right on our next book another marvel title moon knight we're up to issue three. This is also written by Jed McKay. We have art by Alessandro Capuccio. Colors are by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters are by Corey Petit. Uh, what'd you think, Jay? It was interesting. And I know we talked it before we uh, came on, but uh, it seemed fast paced. I mean, there wasn't much dialogue. It was just his assistant, as we all know, she's a vampire. So uh, there's a group of them and uh, Moon Knight decide not to destroy them, even though they're bloodsuckers but he says they're children of the night so he has to protect them but um she was she says reese says that you know one was attacked and you know it was his weapon but he said yeah but that's not me so we find out that you know we got uh, another uh from the last issue is the doctor that's you know um the fists of moon knight as well the whole thing is just a big old battle royal with these two and to the very end uh and that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, it, it's, it just seems so fast and quick. And I was like, that can't be it. <laughs> but it was. It just seemed very, very, very short. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. Like, it, I, I debated on whether I was going to read it. And then I turned to the first page. And I, you know, it's a big, giant splash page. One tiny balloon bubble with, like, four words. And I was like, you know what? Based on how this series has gone so far, it's, it's been very fast-paced. And it, they've been really quick reads. So I, I thought you know what, I'm going to give it a, a read. And I'm glad I did because uh, it's been a little up and down for me. Like I talked previously about how I really felt like Jed McKay was, was trying to really build on what uh, Warren Ellis did. And that was also a very sort of minimalist take on Moon Knight. McKay's trying to expand on that a little bit. You know, obviously there's a bigger cast of characters. And so I, th I think that's working. But the other part of this with, with this other fist of Khonshu that's been uh, introduced this doctor who talks about how he thinks Mark Spector's broken, Moon Knight's broken. He's, he's not fulfilling his mission. He's not living up to his full potential. What I thought was, and again, I don't blame any writers for doing this. They're looking for their angle. They're looking for their in, they're looking to relate to Moon Knight. And we know Mark Spector's always had, you know, what used to be called multiple person, uh, personality disorder you know now now we i think it's called did disassociative id disorder 
know, multiple personalities, whatever you want to call it. He's had these different versions of himself, these different um, kind of lives that he's led. And, you know, some say it's because he died or he's had brain damage and, and all this kind of stuff. I sort of feel like that has taken over this idea of Moon Knight as this mentally ill hero. And to me, that's the least interesting aspect of Moon Knight. I don't really care to read about that. I'd rather read about a Moon Knight who's a little more sure of who he is and, uh, you know, is out there doing the best he can, even though he's been through a bunch of trauma, you know? So, and, and people have talked about Moon Knight many times and compared him to Batman. You know, this is Marvel's uh, version of Batman, basically, because that's sort of what Batman is, right? He's had trauma in his youth and he uses that trauma as fuel to wage war on crime. Um, and I'm not looking for a carbon copy of Batman. Don't at, 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 at any in any way, right? Don't get me wrong, because God knows there's more than enough Batman comics out there. But there's a way to do it differently, and you can pick little pieces of uh, Mark Spector's past and have that resonate. If you want to explore the little bit of the mental illness, I don't mind. But when it becomes the main focus of the character, that's what doesn't interest me. Um, and th- there's been a lot of that recently. So I sort of feel like in the this big fight that um these two fists of Khonshu are having there's some talk from the doctor about healing mark specter trying to make him you know more than he is better than he is and i wonder if that's not a, a foreshadowing of maybe jed mckay is going to give us a kindler gentler moon Knight where the mental illness isn't so forced upon us um but the based on the way this ends maybe that's not the case i i don't know but I did enjoy this. I, this was actually probably the issue of Moon Knight. I enjoyed the, the most so far of the, the issues that have come out just because of that possibility of uh, a different direction for Moon Knight. Um, I like that. Uh, it's sort of a, if you can take him in a different direction and, and sort of heal some of that trauma and get rid of the m- mental illness aspect being so much at the forefront front and do it in a way that makes sense where you're not just arbitrarily starting over uh, I'd be all, I'd be all for that, and plus I like the fact that it is fast paced and it's a relatively quick read. That works for me. So, and, and Moon Knight's been you know he's he's a B list character at best. It's kind of like Ghost Rider, and a lot of those characters were my favorite back in the day. Um, it's just like I said in recent, the more recent Moon Knight series are the ones that I haven't enjoyed and, and haven't read. But his first series, I have all the issues. His second series in '86. That only lasted six and was like Phantom Cancel. Uh, Phantom Cancel. I have have all those issues, so he's definitely uh, one of my faves. So, uh, all right, on to the next book. It's another uh, Marvel title. We have Fantastic Four uh, in back to back weeks. So, in typical Marvel <laughs> Marvel fashion. Uh, so we had the 60th anniversary last week, which I think was actually delayed, which is why they're this one's coming out the uh, week right after. It's number 36. And this is the fallout of Johnny Storm um, sleeping with Dr. Doom's fiance. And we saw in that issue, I guess it would have been 34, that Dr. Doom's punishment was to irradiate Johnny with so much cosmic power, like the same power that Silver Surfer has in Galactus, that Johnny can't flame off. He's, he's almost at Nova level heat all the time. He can't turn it off. He can't eat he can't cry he can't do anything uh, and he's kind of a danger to himself and others and so 
it's uh, this issue is basically Reed trying to find a cure. And if that sounds familiar, hey, you know, it's Reed trying to find a cure for the thing uh, over decades and decades and not being able to do so. So the tables have kind of been turned here and and the thing, Ben Grimm and Johnny Storm, obviously are family. They're like brothers. Um, and that relationship is portrayed very expertly by writer Dan Slott here with sort of the the tables have been turned, you know, with Ben being the, the voice of reason and telling Johnny it's not that bad, you know, taking the role that Johnny used to have uh, for Ben. So uh, it's a great issue. Uh, I, it definitely has an amazingly fantastic for feel. These are characters that are family. And this is a, this is a crisis and in times of crisis, families come together. It's what the fantastic four have always done. And yeah, if it feels a little derivative, I'm okay with that because uh, it's just a really, really fun issue and realistically portrayed the way Johnny's dealing with this catastrophe, the way everyone else is reacting. So uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, the, the name of the issue even is Flame On. Uh, and as I said, written by Dan Slott, Nico Leone is the artist. Donna San, uh, Sanchez Almara does the colors. Joe Carmona on letters. Great cover of uh, fantastic, uh, of uh, Johnny's Torn rather. All lit up, burning orange and yellow from Mark Brooks on the cover. So, I mean, if you like the Fantastic Four, you know, the classic feel of adventure and danger and family Dan Slott captures that very very well and and the art is fantastic really bright colors like you would expect from an adventure book which this is much more so than a superhero book so yeah I'm really digging Fantastic Four um, I wasn't sure when it first started that Dan Slott was was capturing that feel or was the best creator to capture that feel but uh, it he really caught his stride right around issue five or six. Um, and it's been fantastic. War has been, uh, well, it's been fantastic ever since. So I do, do recommend picking it up if you're a uh, fantastic four fan. Uh, all right. Up next, we have uh, another image book. It's radiant black. We're up to was it issue eight uh, written by Kyle Higgins. Art is by Marcelo Costa colors by Natalia Marquez letters by Becca Carey editor and design by Michael Bazoodle, uh, or Basutal, I should say. Uh, anyway, this is one of your picks. Jay, what do you think? It was good. I always, <clears throat> I was looking forward to this book because the artwork is amazing. Uh, the colors that they throw on here, it just goes so well with the storyline. And this one, I guess we get like a before. So I guess it's a flashback. And I guess we get uh, not much of, uh, I guess, the villain of the story, but we kind of see that it's he comes from distress, I guess you can say. Uh, the teams are all scattered throughout the world and they have to get back together to uh, try to fight you know, the big bad, I guess you could say. <clears throat> but, um, but notes to them, they uh, you know, realize what they, they're together. It's not good because, you know, what, what can happen uh, with the bag I can do to them. It leads to so many uh, unanswered questions. Um, <clears throat> I don't know where he, he kind of just disappears. I guess I don't want to give away how he disappears, but let's just say Marshall, does something that he doesn't know he he can do by being in sync with a I guess a black hole. But what really got me about the story was like the very ending. It's like now we got a new piece of the story with these I guess thieves, and we're I'm like okay, what's going on here? And they find a safe, and what's inside is going to change I guess the whole world I guess of uh, radiant black and everybody. But it was really good, and it's really got me. I, I always look for the story, and 
the way the writer does such a great job is like, okay, we're going to go this route with the story, but we're going to make a, we're going to make a left turn over here. Said we're going to do this instead. You're like, oh, you threw me again with another loop. So what's going on with, with, you know, with the safe. Yeah. I mean, is that, I mean, it almost looks like some sort of aliens weapons cache, maybe from the, the aliens that created the radiance. Like, yeah, it, it was just kind of thrown in there and we hadn't seen any anything to do with those characters previously so yeah i'm i'm just as lost as you are when it comes to that um oh, yeah. but i enjoy that his writing's like he got me it's like he always throws something in there that you're like okay okay yep. we're, we're we're going to go with this now yeah and the fact these radiants have had to work together and they've all been thrown into the deep end of the pool and they don't even understand completely what's going on um but they don't necessarily have time to to figure it out because they've been fighting for their lives so yeah action-packed uh keeps building it's been a while uh even though like you said we do get a surprise with these guys breaking into this safe or whatever it is um but it's been a while since we've had a like holy shit uh issue so i have a feeling they usually drop one of those <laughs> on us like every four episodes or issues or so so i have a feeling next issue might be might be one of those holy crap issues we'll see but yeah, definitely Radiant Black continues to be one of the best books out on, on stands today. Highly recommended. Uh, all right. Next book I'm going to talk about also from Image. It's Stillwater number 10 from writer Chip Sadarsky, Ramon K. Perez, co-creator and artist. Mike Spicer does the colors for Russ Wooten on letters. If I didn't know otherwise, I would think this is the series finale because it, it, it ends on that much of a final note um, everything that's been going on in the entire series up to this point feels like it comes to a conclusion in this issue so if you're not familiar stillwater is the name of a town where nobody can age nobody can die uh, if you do you know get your arm cut off or have some sort of fatal wound it just heals itself but that does lead to some problems they have chosen to live under this kind of fascist state so that the government doesn't come and like take them over or experiment on them or whatever. And the, the children in the town have become very disillusioned because they can't age. They can't grow up. They've matured in their minds and their personalities. Um, but they're just frustrated with the fact they're stuck in these children's bodies. Um, so it, it's been a really fascinating ride, uh, the power struggle and the politics that have been going on in the town since basically the first issue. And in this issue, we see who finally comes out on top of that power struggle, at least for now. Um, and then I guess, according to the kind of the little blurb in the back uh, saying that it's going to continue. Cause when I read it, like I said, I read that last page. I was like, Oh, I wonder if is that the end of the series? But then uh, in the letters page, right at the end, they say, okay, come back and find out what happens when now that, you know, these people are in charge instead of, you know, the previous regime or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I guess it, it is going to continue. And, and I'm glad it is because it's been a very uh, fascinating look at just an incredible, you know, set of circumstances, uh, and that, that's really what good storytelling is about. You take ordinary people and put them in extraordinary circumstances and see what happens. So I do recommend Stillwater as well. Chip Zdarsky, one of the best writers working 
in comics now, which I never thought I would say at one point. I wasn't a fan of his, some of his earlier work, but this is fantastic. Uh, the art by Ramon K. Perez is, um, it, it's exactly what is needed for this type of book. You know, there's not always a lot of action. There's a lot of talking. It's, you know, political, it's interpersonal. So, you know, you're dealing with um, emotion and, uh, and a lot of conversation. And he always manages to keep the art looking very interesting, uh, very engaging. And also the color work by Mike Spicer, who's a very underrated color artist, I think. Um, it's a little bit of a muted palette, which sort of su suits this, uh, this type of book. So another fantastic uh, image title, another great book from, uh, from Sadarsky. So check it out if you're, you're so inclined. Uh, all right. Up next, another image title. This one call is called Frontiersman. It's from a writer, Patrick Kindlin. Art is by Marco Ferreira. Letters are by Jim Campbell. Um, I read it, it, felt like it was a bit of a chore. Um, and it's about this, sort of, I guess, a diff, I mean, obviously a different world than ours. Uh, it's kind of alternate rally or a different world where this guy, the frontiersman, was almost like the equivalent of a superhero, even though he doesn't have any powers. And he was fighting for the environment. He was like this very like, well-known crusader for the environment and then he just chooses to kind of go off the grid and leave that all behind um so yeah kind of kind of strange uh and it, like i said it felt felt like a little bit of a chore to read i wasn't a fan but uh what did you think jay well i, I was kind of looking forward to it because it's uh something different i thought okay well i'll, I'll check it out but it took me forever to read because there was so much dialogue and like you always say, always give a book, uh, you know, like a, a second or third issue to see what, how the story goes. It's so interesting, though. I mean, like I say, he was an environmentalist. Um, they need him to come back to kind of be a spokesman. So we'll see how that goes. But he wasn't too sure if he wanted to do this or not. So he talks to some friends from his past to kind of get like a, a feed of, you know, the world really needs him because he says oh, he's just too old. He doesn't understand the, you know, the, the youth of today. But uh, I'm, I'm assuming by him, you know, agreeing to do this, that uh, there'll be more story, I guess, villains that will reappear. Because like you said, he's been kind of hiding in the woods and kind of forgetting about everything. So we'll see how it goes. But yeah, it, it took, uh, took some while to read. And I, I don't think it was really all that necessary, but I, I'll go with it. But we'll see what happens in the next issue. Maybe it'll get better. I don't know. We'll see. But it's, it was different. Yeah, it was definitely different. And yeah, I just wonder about the, the pacing of it. So. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, if you're big into the environment, probably worth uh, worth checking out. I did think the art was pretty solid. I will say that art and colors were, were pretty good. So, uh, all right, next book I'm going to talk about: United States of Captain America. We're up to issue number four. It's written by Christopher Cantwell, Ron Lim on pencils, inks by Cam Smith and Scott Hanna, and then there's a backup story that's written by Alyssa Wong, with art by Jody Hishajima. Uh, colors in the backup are or actually, I guess colors in both are by Matt Miller and then letters are by Joe Caramagna. So I've been a big fan of this mini so far. I feel like Christopher Cantwell has a really good feel for kind of relevant and important issues that are plaguing America, I guess we'll say these days. And he also does a good job of balancing that with bringing in like classic Captain America concepts and, and villains, which he does in this issue 
very, very well. Uh, as far as the art goes, I, if I didn't know this was Ron Lim art, I don't know that I would recognize it. It doesn't have that same dynamic feel that his art had, you know, back in the day on things like Infinity Gauntlet and, and Silver Surfer. Uh, not that it's bad art, but yeah, it just felt a little on the safe side. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of panel breaking or uh, you know, moving the camera around. And so, yeah, it was just serviceable. Um, whereas, you know, normally I'm a big uh, Ron Lim fan. As far as the story goes, uh, Cap and Sam have been trying to track down the people that stole Captain America's shield. And they've been meeting other people who have taken up the, the name and the mantle of Captain America as they've been traveling across the country. And they sort of bring a lot of those people together including um, for the first time in a long time, a team up of U.S. agent and Captain America. So people that were fans of uh, what Falcon and Winter Soldier show on Disney Plus may want to give this a try. You may want to pick this up. Um, it's not a spoiler because he's on the cover and Christopher Cantwell, the writer, has been talking about, you know, bringing back characters like i said from uh the class classic eras of, of captain america that was when he was reading captain america was when john walker took over officially took over as captain america because the, the u.s government wanted captain america to follow their orders um and bring him to heel and he, he said well I, I need to be independent to operate as captain america and when they wouldn't let him he quit and they gave the the mantle to uh to john walker so it, it was great to see them interact great to see him back they're fighting nazis as you would expect you know we found that out a couple issues ago red school's daughter is one of the main uh main villains of the piece so again i, I just this this issue was a lot of action and it felt more classically captain america bringing in a lot of those characters and themes from you know that that era of 300 issue 300 to 400 which is kind of my favorite Captain America era of all time. Um, and it felt like it did more of that than really get into any of the sort of relevant political issues like it did in, in the first uh, couple of issues, which I know some people didn't enjoy. But I think when you're talking about a character that is supposed to embody the American ideals, a character like Captain America, you can't help but talk about politics and and how some of those ideals have become corrupted and co-opted by people that that want freedom, but only freedom for people that look like them, as opposed to freedom for all. And that's what Captain America stands for. More than standing for America, he stands for the freedom for everybody to live their lives free and be equal. He's To me, he's more about equality than anything else. And uh, we, we could use a lot more equality in the world these days. So I've really been enjoying this. Uh, the backup issue, we get, we, we meet a new person who's taken up the mantle of Captain America, as I said, uh, and there's been tons of them throughout the series, but we meet a new one in the first uh, main story. And then we learn her origin in, uh, in the backup story. And again, it's Cantwell addressing something that's a, that's a problem these days and how Captain America himself or this girl who's, kind of fighting in his name uh, has taken it upon herself to, to sort of right that wrong. So this is a fantastic series. I really love what Christopher Cantwell has been doing. I think it's six issues. So we have two more issues to go. Um, I think Ron Lim is doing issue four and issue five. 
And then I think Dale Eaglesham, the regular series artist, comes back for issue six. But based on the strength of this, I'd be happy to see Christopher Cantwell writing the main Captain America book. Uh, I know Ta-Nehisi Coates had been writing it, but I, I thought I remembered hearing that he was leaving. But I don't know if, if I heard or if it's even been announced who's who's taking it over. But uh, really enjoying this. It reminds, it reminds me of how much I like Captain America as a character. Sort of fallen away from from reading him on a regular basis over the past five years or so. Uh, but this makes me want to dive back in. So great job from Christopher Cantwell. Uh, all right. Jay's next book is Vinyl. This is from Image, written by Doug Wagner. Art is by Daniel Hilliard. Colors by Dave Stewart. Letters by Ed Dukeshire. All I got to say, I wish this was like a spoiler free because vinyl, this is like an awesome issue. So much blood and guts in this and fighting is great. As we know from the last issue, uh, where the, uh, Walter is trying to get together a band of uh, fellow silver killers to try to save his friend that he thinks is his best friend, a retired FBI agent, uh, Dennis. But as we know uh, now that he broke his music he listens to, and we never really understood why he listens to his music, it's because he's suffering from Alzheimer's, like the last final stages. So if he doesn't have his music, he doesn't remember anything. And they kind of need him because he's the key player in this whole rescue plan because he's so sadistic. He knows how to get in and out and what, who's got to go first and everything. The group that he's got with him is uh, Renee, Guy, and the twins. These are all, you know, master killers. I guess they're, they're you know, as bad as he is. But that's not to say that this cult that they're infiltrating doesn't have their own band of serial killers. So it's just a big giant bloodbath, uh, lots of fighting, lots of guts. Um, we lose some characters in the whole thing. Um, and then we finally meet the, I guess the big bad of the group was called Mother. And she got to have a certain weapon to like go ballistic and do whatever she wants to do. So that kind of leads off the, the ending of, the, of this story. But there's just so much blood and guts. It's definitely not for kids, but it's been an awesome book for me. I just love it. I have a hard time even flipping through it. There's so much blood and guts. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely brutal. But I, I go back and forth. Like, I, I think I want to read it, but then there's times where I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. Um, so anyway, next book I'm going to talk about. It's another X title. Uh, it's Epic. X Corp number five. This is the final issue. It's written by Tenny Howard. Alberto Fochi is the artist. Sonny Go on uh, colors. Clayton Callan letters. Tom Muller on design. This has been a, a really interesting title. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Right from the start, you know, it's about the, kind of the other battle that <laughs> mutants have to fight. This one in the boardroom, right? So we're talking politics. We're talking, you know, ruthless business practice, practices and whatnot. And so everything that has happened previously to issue four all builds up to this where the X-Men had sort of succeeded in the business world. And so their enemies had, were left with no choice but to actually attack them physically. Uh, and we saw that at the end of uh, last issue where they basically um, led an assault on the headquarters of, uh, of X-Corp, which had just launched their big giant um, – platform as as the world's best and most stable uh, network for mobile devices like you know cell phone coverage and uh, internet and whatnot um, and 
what these people were trying to do is not only attack the headquarters to knock out that so that they could show that, hey, this mutant network is not very stable, but also to steal the technology and go and start their start their own. So last issue ended on a crazy cliffhanger, so much so that I'm not even going to, even though it's last issue, I'm not going to mention it because it does play a, a part in what happens in this particular issue. Uh, but the action comes fast and furious with all these different characters and, and all these different uh, events and fights and whatnot. And so it makes for a little bit of a chaotic issue, but it all comes together in the end and, and makes perfect sense. And, uh, and not only that, like the way that it's all resolved is, is fantastic. Like Tinney Howard came up with this just amazing idea for, uh, for Jamie Madrox, the multiple man. And uh, it, it's, a new way of him dealing with a crisis is how I'm going to put it. And it makes complete sense. It makes total sense what she came up with. And I, I love it because I, I I'm sure other future X-Men writers, people who write multiple man will use it. It'll be used again. Cause it's that good of an idea. It's one of those ideas where you're like, man, how come nobody thought of that before? So uh, I, I just really enjoyed this. Uh, it definitely comes to a satisfying conclusion and you, you don't need to know there's any more, but I imagine at some point there's going to be more because there's a, some fallout from some of the things that happen um, where you go, oh, okay, yeah, that little thread could be followed to its, you know, the, the next sort of chapter for X Corp, right? Because the, the business has survived and it's going to continue to um, provide pharmaceuticals for the world and, and now uh, network coverage and whatnot. So yeah, uh, I enjoyed this more than I thought it thought I would. I mean, you hear like X Corp and you think, okay, it's about the, the business that the mutants are going to start to distribute the, the pharmaceuticals that are uh, manufactured from the plants on Krakoa and they're going to use this other technology to, uh, you know, create cell phone coverage and, and whatnot. And God, how boring is that going to be? And this hasn't been boring at all. It's been, uh, it's been really, really enjoyable, but not real dry. Cause the other thing is you worry about, it's going to flip over to the other side and be really dry. And um, with all the politics and talking heads and whatnot, this issue was totally action packed. So really enjoyed it. Uh, the art by Fo uh, Fochi, I thought was solid as well throughout. So not real flashy, but, but definitely solid, told a great, great story. So uh, last book, I'm just going to mention real quickly for me, um, this was a good, good, really good week for Top Cow, uh, Mark Silvestri's uh, imprint over at, uh, at Image. Um, they have two really great books. Jay's going to talk about his in, in a second, but uh, the, the issue that I'm going to talk about is St. Mercy, and this is issue two. It's from writer John Zer Platten. Art is by Atelio Rojo. Letters by Troy Petrie. And we talked about the first issue, and it basically tells the story of this girl who apparently, her name's Mercy, but and apparently she's lived for like five, six hundred years, something like that. Because we get flashbacks of when she was alive back in um, the Incan times uh, in, in Peru. And she was supposed to be given up as a sacrifice to one of their gods, but yet somehow she's still alive in the Old West. And the majority of this issue takes place in the Old West. And we saw last issue where these marauders or bandits had robbed a stagecoach. And uh, one of them 
got out of hand. One of the gang got out of hand, wasn't following orders and his own gang shoots him. And that guy manages to escape and he goes to the church where Mercy and her father, uh, and if this is actually her father, adopted father, we don't really know. He's, he's a, a Mexican priest. But anyway, this gut shot um, criminal basically goes there and, uh, and asks for help and they're trying to help him, but he can't uh, escape his nature and he ends up snooping around trying to see if there's anything worth stealing. And he finds the, the helmet made of gold uh, or, or head gear or whatever you want to call it that mercy had worn way back five, 600 years ago when she was being offered up as the sacrifice. And so uh, he knocks mercy unconscious with a shovel and steals the gold and and runs off. And that's where the first issue ends. Well, this one sort of picks up right where that one left off. And uh, the vast majority of this issue has to do with, with that guy and uh, the posse that, uh, or his gang that robbed the stagecoach and and what they're up to and the, the town that they go to take shelter in because there's a big storm uh, that's uh, coming on throughout the night right after they robbed the stagecoach so they need a place to kind of go to ground and uh, the sheriff of that town and and what he needs to do in order to keep his town safe and then obviously we're learning a, a little more about mercy uh, we still don't know does she have powers how is she al- uh, alive so long um yeah, so there's a lot going on, but it, it definitely, e- even though the, the first issue had more flashbacks to 500 years ago in, in Peru with Mercy's Ink and Roots, um, this one, it's only a couple of pages, and the majority of it is just like this great Western story about th- this gang who robbed a stagecoach and the sheriff and his men who are, who are trying to keep the peace and find out what's going on with a little bit of Mercy and her dad. Um but it, it's a really fast-paced, action-packed Western, basically, and I'm I'm real curious to see how um, how Mercy's past is going to tie into that and learn more about her because we still don't know. Like we know that apparently she's been alive for a really long time or has reincarnated or something, but does she have powers? Does she like we we don't know any of that. So, uh, but you know, if you're a fan of a, a great Western, you know this this is standing on its own just with that aspect of the story and uh atelio rojo is an artist whose work i really enjoy um the work here is like digitally colored uh, digitally painted and it looks fantastic very smooth uh intricate detailed art so yeah this is a you know per- perfect example of what jay was just talking about read the first issue and was kind of like eh, i don't know read the second one uh, fantastic can't wait for issue three uh, and the last book we're going to talk about in detail is uh, one that Jay picked. It's Siphon number three. This is the final issue of this uh, series. And, you know, I talked to the writers, Patrick Meany and uh, Motion Ashraf a few weeks ago on the show, along with artist Jeff Edwards. Uh, Colors are by John Kalish. Letters by Troy Petrie. Uh, I'm sad that this is only a three issue series because this has been a fantastic ride. And when I talked to the guys, and asked them, you know, what they were most excited about. This was the issue. This was the issue they were most excited. Uh, so I had high expectations. And let me tell you, man, they met those expectations 100%. Uh, so what did you think, Jay? Yeah, I was sad to see that this was the third and final book. I was like, oh, because it was actually starting, you know, get take off really, really well. Um, but it's great. Uh, Silas has been a fun character because he's just a, a humble guy. He's not a bad guy. He, uh, you know, he's a paramedic. I mean, he he wants to help people. 
he kind of falls into the world with Antonio that kind of lures him into, you know, uses powers that he obtained for evil. So I like this issue because it's a battle within his mind, but the colors and the artwork is just phenomenal because they know what's inside his mind and what, you know, it, it could be anything in there and the colors are amazing. He does manage to beat Antonio because uh, with the powers, you also get the people who've had the power uh, previously. So they all work together. So it's kind of neat. I love it. Um, the ending is kind of a, I don't know. It's like, it, it's, it was nice because it was, it tied up a lot of loose ends, I guess, for the character and uh, his past, you know, relationships. And he learns how to um, use the powers. Cause now he's got more of a better guidance from like, like from the people that had it before him. So that was really great. I don't know what this is going to be the end end of the story because, you know, we still don't know what happens to Antonio because we think he's, I thought he was dead, but apparently he's not. So I guess we'll see what happens with that, but it was just a great story that kind of leaves a little bit of a cliffhanger, but the artwork was great. The story was amazing. Like I said, the color work was just phenomenal. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And we, we talked um, when I talked to the creative team, we talked about how, how they would continue the story. You know, there's so much they could talk about with previous siphons through history or continue to tell the story of, of Silas as a siphon uh, what happens next. Um, Cause yeah, is, is Antonio really defeated? Well, maybe for now, uh, but that, that is left open as well. So uh, they also mentioned comparing this issue to um the inception and definitely when you see the artwork and all the different collages and montages that Jeff Edwards does, you can see why they, the, you get that feel. Uh, and yeah, I mean, this artwork is so impressive. Like it, if there's any reason it only went three issues, it's probably because Jeff Edwards has killed himself on this, on this title. Uh, <laughs> the artwork has been absolutely fantastic. So yeah. Uh, if you want a, a quick, fantastic story that hopefully is going to have more but doesn't necessarily need it definitely recommend picking up siphon i mean from the colors to the dialogue to the pacing everything has been spot on this is my book of the week if you're only going to read one book this week uh make it siphon number three although if you haven't read siphon one and two you may be a little confused (laughs) uh but god like even if you haven't read it and you don't plan on buying it, pick it up and, and just flip through it when you're at the comic shop, man, because this artwork is phenomenal. It is so, so, so good. Uh, all right. Well, let me give a rundown on some other books you might want to be on the lookout for today. Uh, from Ablaze, we have He Who Fights with Monsters, number one, starts off a new series from uh, that publisher. Uh, at Aftershock, uh, we talked about their two, uh, actually, we talked about Bunny Mask, but we also have Baby Heath, number 20, which is the end of that series. I read it. Uh, the reason I didn't talk about it, it's written by Donnie Cates is because it, it does tie up the story in a very, in a very satisfying way, but there's nothing really that I could talk about without spoiling um, because it covers such a vast amount of time and is so inherently tied into what's come before. So uh, I'm, maybe if I, if maybe if there hadn't been that giant break between like issue 16 and issue 17, 18, 19, 20, I'd have a better feel, but it's been so long since I've read the beginning of it. I mean, still remember what happens, but I feel like I need to go back and reread the whole thing um, to have a better feel to be able to talk about it uh, a little bit more, but it is coming out today. Fantastic cover as well. And, uh, and that's a series I I'm looking forward to going back and rereading uh, from AWA. 
Speaking of conclusions, we have Marjorie Finnegan's Temporal Criminal Number Five coming out today. That's the final issue of that series from Garth Innes uh, at Boom Studios. Dune House Atreides, number 10 of 12. Uh, Once in Future, number 20 from Kieran Gillen, uh, modern retelling of, uh, of King Arthur is out today. DC Comics out today. And don't forget, you can listen to our DC Spotlight with spoilers uh, that came out yesterday. We talked about all these books. Aquaman, The Becoming, number one. Batman, number 113, tying into Fear State. Batman Secret Files, Miracle Molly, number one, which has some fascinating concepts. Uh, Batman the Detective, number five of six from Tom Taylor. That's the next last issue of that series. Another Fear State tie-in in Catwoman, number 35 from Ram V. Uh, a standalone done-in-one story in Flash, number 774, with great Christian Ducey art written by Jeremy Adams. Uh, Nightwing, number 84 from, uh, from Tom Taylor is also a Fear State tie-in. We have Shazam, number three of four, with great Clayton Henry art written by Tim Sheridan. And Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number four of eight, with Bilquis Everly Art, written by Tom King. Again, if you want to hear more details about those books, go check out our uh, our episode from yesterday, where we go into uh, detail on uh, the happenings of those particular issues. Uh, over at Image, in addition to the books we talked about, we have King Spawn, number two, from Todd McFarlane, Mirka Andolfo's Sweet Paprika, number three of 12. Greg Rucka gives us old... Guard Tales Through Time, number six of six, finishing up that series. I do want to mention, because the first two issues have sold out, and it's a fantastic series, if you missed out on Ordinary Gods, number one, or Ordinary Gods, number two, from writer Kyle Higgins and Felipe Watanabe on art, there's second printings hitting shops uh, this week. Second Chances, number two, which uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that series yet. I've read the first two issues, obviously, but it's so dense. I'm not sure yet. Uh, I have to give that one another issue before I, I talk about it more. Uh, over at Marvel, in addition to the books that we talked about, we have a Gamma Flight number four of five by Al Ewing, Crystal Crystal Frazier. That has been a really great book. Uh, only one issue left. Curious how it's all going to tie up together. Uh, Star Wars War, Star Wars Bounty Hunters, and this is a Star Wars War the Bounty Hunters tie-in. Uh, with Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 16. We also have Symbiote Spider-Man Crossroads number three of five. X-Men number three, written by Jerry Dugan. And then an X-Men Legends uh, issue uh, there up to number seven, going back and filling in those missing pieces of, uh, of X-Men lore. And from Valiant Entertainment, Exo Manowar number six. I can't believe the new Exo Manowar is already up to issue six, and I haven't read a single uh, issue, but it's been letting me down lately, so I haven't made the time to uh, to read any of their stuff. Uh, anyway, any other books you want to give a, a shout out to, Jay? Uh, you're muted. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> now, IDW Publishing, The uh, Last Ronin, number four, comes out. Uh, I like that. It's been pretty good. And then <clears throat> the book that I want to talk about was uh, it's called it's from Bliss on Tap. It's Train 8 Zombie Express, number three. The reason I wait for that book, because the last issue came out in 2017, is supposed to be a three-issue series. This is number three. <laughs> so it's, it's finally coming out. So I get to finish the story because I was like, oh, I'll be damned. I forgot when I first got it. I was like, 2017? Oh, my God. It's been forever. But my book of the week is definitely going to be Bunny Mask because I've just enjoyed that craziness. 
Yeah, my book of the week is Siphon Number Three: uh, Craziness in a in a totally different way, especially with the art by uh, by Jeffrey Edwards. It's been absolutely fantastic. So, uh, yeah, some really really great books this week. Uh, so, hope you guys get a chance to get out to your comic shop and and pick up some books. Be sure you check out the links in the show notes for uh, how you can support the uh, the book drive uh, and uh, how we can stop the banning of books in uh, in Pennsylvania. It's very very important and. Uh, Again, we've already had the ban overturned, so that's uh, fantastic news. But you can learn more, learn how you can help and, and get involved. Uh, just check out the show notes. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Uh, as always, we want to thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.